Wild Precious Life is brought to you by Art Heals All Wounds, a podcast about artists transforming lives with their work. I don't know about you, but I feel like most of us have spent entirely too long in this season of brokenness, confusion, and loss. As the sun finally tiptoes out from behind the clouds, I feel myself opening to the possibility of wholeness and healing. That's where Art Heals All Wounds comes in. Each week, we hear from artists grappling with the problems we're all struggling with, too. We discover self-compassion, empathy, and common ground. One listener described Art Heals All Wounds as vulnerable and wise. Others have called it inspired and wholesome like rediscovering the lost art of conversation. So, if you are longing for transformation and ready to unlock your own inner artist, you can find Art Heals All Wounds wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned at the end of today's episode to hear a trailer. Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Greenlight Bookstore. Through knowledgeable staff, curated book selection, community partnerships, and a robust e-commerce website, Greenlight combines the best traditions of the neighborhood bookstore with a forward-looking sensibility and welcomes readers of every kind to the heart of Brooklyn. Learn more and shop online at greenlightbookstore.com. I don't know about you, but I feel like I aged a decade over the last two years. Everything seems so tenuous, so uncertain, so strained. Everything we thought we could count on was a rug pulled out from under us. The only real and surefire thing I've been left with since the pandemic is love. Love for my kids and my partner. Love for family members and friends, many of whom I still haven't seen since the before times. Love for this strange, sometimes terrible, but still beautiful world we get to inhabit for our unknown number of days and hopefully years. Since reading the love poems translated by today's guest, I've been thinking about how often I used to hold love in. I didn't want to seem too loopy or sentimental or make myself too vulnerable. I didn't want to open myself up to hurt. But after reading these poems and living through these difficult years, I'm tired of wasting time. What's the use of holding love back? What's the reason for guarding your heart? If you get hurt, you get hurt. But if you get love, isn't that worth the risk? None of us is getting any younger. So today's episode comes with a few calls to action. Go ahead and say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Own your shitty behavior. Go ahead and let yourself feel hope and excitement for stuff that may or may not happen. Weddings, vacations, dreams. And go ahead and tell the people you love that you love them. Tell them often and in interesting ways. Unload the dishwasher. Share the remote. Smile. And P.S. Don't be afraid to talk to someone who's smarter than you. Today's guest literally wrote the book on the poet Rumi. I was so nervous to talk to her. What if I sounded dumb? But I tell you what, life is too short to hang out in imposter syndrome. Just show up, do your best, and know you belong wherever you are. So let me tell you about Hala. Hala Liza Gafori is a translator, 
vocalist, poet, and educator. She grew up hearing recitations of Persian poetry and has deepened her connection through singing and translating for well over a decade. Her book, Gold, features Hala's translations of poems by Rumi, the 13th century sage and mystic. Hala believes his words offer liberating and nourishing perspectives vital to our times, inviting us into deeper levels of love and generosity. Hala Liza Gafuri, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm so glad you're here. I first came to your work through a recommendation from the indefatigable Elizabeth Lesser, who has also been a guest on this program. And as you probably know, yes. she is a lifelong Rumi aficionado. You know, she's yes. the, which is the work that you've recently translated. And she described your book this way. Hala Liza Gafori has taken Rumi's original Farsi text and unleashed its fire. My soul soars reading each one. High praise. Mm. High praise. Yeah, thankful for that. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. Wonderful writer and and certainly has been immersed in his poetry for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, before we take a deep dive into Rumi and his work, I wonder if we could actually back up and just have you tell us your story. Yeah, well, I guess my story in relation to the book, I'll just start there. Uh, I started translating Rumi in 2016. Um, he's actually been a, a recurring force in my life since babyhood, I guess. You know, my parents were reciting him when I was a child. It's very common for Iranians to memorize poetry. So uh, I would hear his, his words in Persian when I was a child, didn't quite understand what I was hearing, but certainly was amazed by how much energy the lines carried and the rhythm and rhyme and the, the propulsive you know, nature of these poems and sort of what would happen in the room when they were recited. Something would change, something would shift. And so that was you know, an early memory. And then I started reading translations when I got older of Rumi in English. So it was interesting that then American translators kind of pointed me back to my roots in a way. And eventually I started singing in Persian, singing his lyrics. And then eventually in 2016, I came to translating. So, and I would say translating is the most intimate way to engage with a poem, for sure, you know. I've never translated anything, but I'm fascinated by the fact that when your parents were I'm going to say singing you Rumi lullabies or reciting these Rumi, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rumi you know, because these are love poems. When they were reciting to you, were they reciting in Iranian or were they reciting in English? In Persian. Yeah, no, in, in Persian. In, I'm sorry, in Persian, of course. Yes, in the I original noticed. text. Mm -hmm. So what was it like to switch back and forth between the original and the English? Well, yeah, you know, translating poetry is is challenging and translating Rumi is 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 very challenging in a way. It's also a lot of fun. It's also very inviting text. That's why so many people want to take it on. Um, uh, there are poems that are quite long and then translators will take 
certain sections of them and choose sections because they're not like sonnets in that they're not these longer, you know, 14 line self-contained where everything is sort of attached. They're, they're discrete units. So couplets can stand on their own. So it's not uncommon to hear different parts of poems from different translators. You know what I mean? So that's an interesting aspect of it. And so, yeah, as a reader, as someone who can look at the Persian and look at the English, one can see, oh, we're, we don't have these lines here. We're missing these lines. Or, wow, this is, this is a great, well done translation here. Or, oh my God, what in the world was happening here? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a mixture. It's a mixed bag, you know, it's a mixture. But uh, there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful lines that have come across. That's for sure. So, but Rumi lived uh, 1200 you know, in, in the year 12, yes. 1200, a 13th century Persian poet. For many of us in American schools, we learned Shakespeare is one of our oldest yeah. writers. And he, and he died in, what, 1616. So Rumi was hundreds of years before that. Can you, can you tell people who aren't familiar with this guy why his words have stayed with us all this time? Yeah. Well, he was very wise and very ecstatic. He reached a state of of really uh, a love that I think is, you know, a capital L love, you know, the 360 embrace of creation love. He um, he was very honest. He was aware of the struggles of, you know, that, that are part of human existence, like navigating this life on earth is not easy. And he never denied that. And yet he strove for transformation. He believed that transformation is possible. He believed that, you know, the, the book is called Gold because the Sufis and Rumi were in some ways alchemists. They, they were transforming mental states. They were transforming feeling states. So the gold is the sort of deepest love, the deepest generosity, the most expansive consciousness that we can touch, the ecstatic. It's not a material possession. What they were interested in was how are you feeling and how are you seeing how, what is the state of your perception today, you know, and can you optimize it when he says, your eyes are not a vulture's beak <laughs> to tear the hole in two, right? See with the beloved's eyes, see one when your mind says two, right? So there was this movement outside, beyond, moving beyond, uh, you know, X versus Y, me versus you, us versus them, um, losing the obsession with winning, losing the obsession with hierarchy, all these kinds of things, very liberating. So was it that about his story that found its root in you in 2016? What was it that called you to him and his work in 2016? Yeah, well, certainly I had been called to it before that, you know, and I was singing it. So I was very interested in it and interested in the philosophy. But then in 2016, I just happened to be reading a translation and I happened to look at the line and wonder, is that right? I wasn't really sure. And so I went back to the original text and I said, ah, that's not how I would have translated it. So I took a shot at translating the poem and I enjoyed it. And I said, let me do another one and I'll do another one. And so it started out as, you know, curiosity and, and, and 
and a hobby. And then I became passionate about it. And then it eventually I had enough pages that one would call it a manuscript. So it sort of happened just by wondering about a line, a specific line. I don't speak Farsi, but I suppose there are some gaps between Farsi and English, words that exist in one language that don't fully exist in another. Yes. So how did you tackle that in this project? Yes. Yes, you have to find ways of of working with that. Okay, like for instance, one, this is a small, I'll give you a small example and then I'll give you a bigger example. You know, the word oud. He says, uh, oud means incense and it also means an instrument. So then you have to decide as a translator, which one am I going to use? Am I going to use both? Right? So, for instance, in that case, I decided that he was speaking of both, you know. And so he, in this poem, he, say, he says, uh, he says um, you brought my spirit to a boil, turned my grapes to wine. You lit a fire to the fragrant wood and body of song in me. Watch the smoke rise. So that fragrant wood and body of song is oud, is all, is all from one little word, oud. You know, that's an example of one word. But, but, but if we take a word that's a conceptual word, like a word like fana, which, which okay, fana is an important word. It's an important word for America, us Americans, too. I was born here, so, you know. <laughs> um, fana is sometimes defined as self-annihilation, which sounds terrible. That sounds, does it, does yeah. it, sounds awful. Uh-huh. Okay, that doesn't do it justice. That's not a good definition of it. It's sometimes defined as ego death, which is a better definition of it. But really what fanna is, is it's a process of shedding the oppressive aspects of ego and dissolving that aspect of us in a shoreless and boundless love, in a compassion, in compassion. So dissolving the cramped, petty parts of the self, the greedy, circumspect, calculating parts of the self, dissolving that in compassion. (laughs) It's a kind of death, right? Because it's it's a death of the small self in a way. And so we don't have a word for that. No, we do not. But it's a very interesting and important process. That's a huge jump. There's a huge difference between self-annihilation and the transformative nature of the word that you jumped to. This idea of burning the self down or drowning the self, this is a big thing in Sufi mysticism. And it's not punishing. It's not flagellating. It's compassionate. It's love's fire. You know, it's love's ocean. You know, when he says, for instance, he says, the last two lines will speak to this, but it's a very short poem. He says, why paint night over nightless day? Every religion has love, but love has no religion. Love is an ocean, no borders, no shores. Drown there and you won't lament it. The drowned have no regrets. So drowning, again, that sort of drowning, losing yourself in this kind of 
vast love, losing the circumspect, cagey, calculating aspect of the mind, you know, the self-obsessed part of the self. I wrote that poem down, the, the, and I didn't understand it until I heard you talk about fana, because I, I understood that every religion has love, but love has no religion. Love is an ocean, no borders, no shores. That I got. But then when I got to the drowning at the end, I was thinking, well, I don't know. I think a drowning. But but now to understand like the um, the letting go. And yes, that that is in the drowning that that you're not fighting against these currents. You're you're letting go of uh, borders and boundaries and letting and being transformed. It's actually really fascinating to hear you say that because now I'm thinking about several lines that are going to be different for me now. Oh, I've never thought about translating this much. This is this is fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm going to try to practice the first part of Sama today, which I understand to be deep listening. Yes. But I don't entirely understand the second part of Sama and right. what it has to do with Rumi. So will you help me with Sama? Sure. Okay, so the deep listening was a very important practice for him. You got that, right? And that's, he was listening at this point in time, not to books being read aloud, which he did when he was a student and a, you know, but now his friend Sham said, let's listen to music and poetry. And this deep listening process was very important to him as a meditative practice, as a way of sort of un unleashing his spirit, really. Um, and then on top of that, the second aspect of Sama was the whirling dance. Okay. And so this is a very uh, sort of rigorous practice in a way. I mean, it's not easy to stand up, whirl around the left axis of your leg, right? And he would do it apparently for hours. What, your right hand is facing the sky. Your left hand is facing the ground. You're whirling around the left axis of your leg towards the heart in this kind of 360-degree embrace of creation. And, and you are really in a state of deep focus. If you're not, you're going to get dizzy and fall. So this required such immense concentration. And in this concentration, again, fana, right? Because when we are immersed, when we are engaged, we lose ourselves. We lose our self-censor, our censor, our, our self-concern, our self-obsession. And suddenly here he is, this whirling entity and he says you know sama is the food of lovers he says in sama you you know he says the ladder the heaven's ladder reaches the seventh sky sama's ladder reaches far beyond it you know so this idea that um we transcend through this practice and um that's what he was experiencing and he would write he would about poetry, he would spontaneously compose while he was whirling and the drum was playing. He was freestyling. Yeah, I'm thinking about, so first off, that whirling, I think I just would be in deep nausea. There would be no creating, but you no, have to- It's quite difficult, yeah. But Me I too, can, I, I get nauseous. I can think about connecting your body to sound, and that surely must be part of why Rumi's work has endured. You know, that, that these are, at, at the most basic core, um, parts of ourself, our desire to, 
to sing and drink and love and laugh and drum, that this is timeless behavior. Yes, indeed it is. Absolutely, 100%. You know, and I think about him, you know, as a child, they left their home and traveled actually across Central Asia for 10 years. And, you know, he was sleeping under stars. They were walking through gardens that were so fragrant. There was music playing at night. There were stories being told. Um, there was, yeah, there was a lot of, of fresh air being inhaled and, and stories and music being inhaled. At the same time, the Mongols were marching across Central Asia. And there were terrible, there were stories of terrible uh, massacres and, and bloodshed. He was also hearing that. So he was aware of the wide range of human existence, of life on the earth. And he was aware that this Genghis character was an egomaniac. And he knew what that meant. And he knew the importance of burning away that destructive, self-obsessed force that is more apparent in some than in others. But everyone can use, lose a little bit of it, I think, you know. Absolutely. I hadn't realized that they were contemporaries, that they were alive, that Genghis Khan and yeah. Rumi were alive at the same time. Yeah. It's sometimes these historical figures we just learn as having been from back then, but I don't yeah. always think about who who overlaps, like who, who was alive at the same time. It's like um, Martin Luther King and Anne Frank were were young and children at, at the same time. That, that those seem from separate parts of history. Well, we're talking about Rumi, but I would love it if we could hear some of Rumi in your own words. If there's a poem or two that you want to read to us, I've heard you read just in online forums and it's, it's beautiful. So would you like to share something? They don't have titles, right? There's no like sonnet number 144. Yeah, right. Exactly. His poems weren't titled. They were entitled. So we, we, we stuck to that. And, the, you know, in the table of contents, it's the first line. So this one is called You Found Me Once Again. And, and this is an interesting poem. I want to read it just because I was thinking about it. Um, I have to go to an event tonight. And they said, you know, read something that is related to um, being called or being found being lost and being found, right? And whether we're found by ourselves or found by a loving friend or found, you know, by the source as he is at the end of this poem. Anyway, let me just read it. And how sometimes we resist being found, right? That's very interesting. Okay, here we go. You found me once again, you thief of hearts. In drunken ecstasy, you searched the bazaar and found me. Even through sleepy-lidded, love-drunk eyes, you spotted me. I ran to the tavern. You found me. Why do I run when no one can escape you? Why hide when you found me a hundred times? I thought I could lose you in a crowd of people, but you find me even in crowds of secrets even behind my own masks. What a blessing to be sought and found by your eyes. What luck to be caught 
in your twists and turns, loving seer, persistent seer, towering cypress of countless gardens. I was pulling a thorn from my foot when you found me. You showered me with flowers from your fertile beds. Dear Nightingale, your melodies opened my ears. Like a ladle wanting its fill of light, I plunged into the moon's halo. At the bottom of that bottomless pot, you found me. Like a deer fleeing a lion, I ran through the desert. Deep in the mountains, you found me. Wounded, I shed my blood on every path. You followed the drops and found me. I was a hooked fish writhing in the waves. At the end of the line, you found me. You roam the skies and catch galloping deer. With all that skill and patience, you found me. The moment you found me, you gave me a cup brimming with love's wine, heavy enough to match the weight on my soul. Every sip lightened it. Every sip a balm. I drank till empty. My soul took flight. I have no mind, no ear, no tongue today. The source of thought and word found me. Wow. First off, thank you for reading that. Second, I have all kinds of questions about, um, well, first off, who's you? Who is you in these poems? Who is, because I'm, I'm getting higher power. I'm getting romantic yeah. partner. I'm getting the muse. Who is yes! you? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> All of the, and you is also me, right? So you is the I, it's, and all those yous you just named, right? So what part of his own consciousness is finding him? And his friend, his beloved friend, Shams, his guide, his mentor, the one who kind of revolutionized his, you know, life, helped her, or was the catalyst for his revolution. Shams is the you, and the higher power, the source, the God is the you, Absolutely. And the muse is the you. I think all of the above. I think you touched on it exactly right. It's all of the above. I'm astonished by how much of that language is also so contemporary to what many of us hope from our romantic partnerships, that we want someone to peel away our masks. We want someone to... Um, accept us despite of or even because of our secrets that that what it means to be in relationship is that I'm not going to hide myself from you anymore and I'm not going to hide myself from me anymore. The group of people who traveled with him, I felt like there was a call here. You know, there some of the poems are like, you are not a seeker. Come with us. Our curiosity mm-hmm. is contagious. Never right. played a melody. Come with us. Your voice will rise in song. Uh, there's a call here. I don't know where that party Beautiful. is, but I right. want to join it. I want to join Rumi and his merry band of followers. I want to yeah. love and dance and sing with them. Yeah, what he values, you know, what he values. The, the camaraderie, curiosity, togetherness, music. Yeah, there's that line, I stir up laughter. I stir up laughter in, even in those who fear joy. Good that job. Might, that <laughs> might be my new mantra. 
I stir up laughter <laughs> even in those who fear joy. Like just yes, we are afraid sometimes to just let go. I don't know why we're like that. Have you ever been to just a? I, it's been such a long time, but a party where everyone talks and no one says anything. Oh God, yeah, that happens. Oh my that gosh, happens. and we're just we're just talking, but no one connects. No yeah. one actually sees. No one um, admits. You're just, you know, you're just doing the the polite banter and you leave there feeling more empty than you <sighs> were right. when you entered. Right. I just get the feeling that Rumi cut through those layers and the authenticity in these lines. I felt seen. I felt wow. seen in these poems. And again, they're, yes. they're, they're hundreds and hundreds of years old. But yeah. thank you for making um making this alive for for so many of us it's a pleasure and it almost brings tears to my eyes to know like to 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 hear you say that you felt seen in the poetry and you felt uh, that exactly what you said that sense of the opening and how important that is to our lives you know ruby was longing for honest and intimate conversation when he met Shams. And his poems are honest and intimate conversations. You know, when he says, who am I? Who is this I? You know, he's not, he's not marching around like, I'm, I'm a saint, I'm the great one, I've got this all figured out. He has a whole poem where he says, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. He's not afraid to say, I don't know. He's not afraid to just uh, be, exist, speak honestly, speak of the difficulties, speak of the joys, and no shame around joy either. You know, and, and this is an old thing, I think, let's say from the Abrahamic trio, you know, who, there's a lot of shame in the, in the Abrahamic religions, you know, so to cut through that, to cut through shame around the ecstatic, it's an interesting process, too. Hey, hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo. And co-hosts of Sleepover, Sleepover Cinema. Cinema. Our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. I, I love this one close to the end. Um, I was just thinking about how all of us should be so lucky to be remembered. And it says, if wheat sprouts from my grave and if you bake bread from it, expect to get drunk. The baker and the dough will lose their minds. The oven will rattle off ecstatic verse. If you make a pilgrimage to my grave and stand on my burial mound, expect to dance. Don't visit my grave without a drum, my friend. A feast with God is no place 
for sadness. Oh my gosh, we should all be so lucky to have our lives remembered in this way, to celebrate that we were here, that we created and loved and inspired others to do the same. Yes, and that, yes, and that you stand on our grave and dance because it's the ecstasy is still, still emerging from us, you know? And it's just like, I'm like crying. Of course, your listeners can't tell, but I'm crying because to hear someone read the lines that I, working on and reading is so touching to me it's just nice to hear it in someone's voice other than my own and 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 (laughs) I just that's a side note but 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 I tell you yeah you know and the idea of aging and allowing aging to be a process of (laughs) ecstasizing let's say that's a verb you know to let Aging be a liberating process that by the time we get to death, the wheat that sprouts from our grave is is, is going to make you drunk. And and you, I see sometimes every once in a while, not often, but every <laughs> once in a while, you see an older person who is actually seems well and liberated and happy because they get it. They get the thing. They they understand the whole play here you know that we're in this precious life like when he says he says how many eons must pass before the treasures i find here appear again why ignore them now the simplest things are treasures you know and sometimes uh, we see people who get that i always like it when i meet someone like that i think elizabeth lesser is someone like that but you just meet someone who there's something about them that they have figured out some secrets and they're sprinkling them from their pockets and you're just happy to walk amongst the wildflowers that grow in their wake. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. All right. So we've we've talked about Rumi, which is what you're known for, but who are some of your other writer crushes? Whose work do you love? Actually, you know, what's funny. I was so happy that you just asked me that because right when you said wildflowers and someone dropping, I thought of Tom Petty and I thought of the docu, <laughs> I thought of the documentary I just watched of Tom Petty. And when he was writing that song, wildflowers, you know, you belong, you belong among the wildflowers. The wildflowers yeah. Oh, that is such a beautiful song. And um, hey, I love Tom Petty. So there you go. That's one. <laughs> um, Lucille Clifton is right here on my desk. Here oh, she is. So I love good. her. I love her. Um, I'm looking around my room. Well, oh, but I put my books above. But anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, I love so many people. You know, V, formerly known as Eve Eve Ensler, Ensler. Mm -hmm. and her work throughout her life, so important. And she comes from such a space of, you know, deep awareness of the absolute, you know, appalling actions that take place on this earth, uh, primarily against women's bodies and women in general and 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 she but and and still she is coming from a space of joy coming from the ecstatic she's calling us to the ecstatic she's saying we don't this doesn't need to be why is there so much shaming why is there so much misogyny that's another podcast in itself right there it it sure is and uh 
it's very central to our salvation to ask that question. Absolutely. I like this idea of Rumi believing that people could be transformed. That gives me hope that that we can, all of us, seek um, transformation. And yeah. there's room for us. There's hope for yeah. us. Well, I could talk to you all day, but they do not let me. So we always close with just some <laughs> some icebreakers, um, just some some kind of quick questions. So these are just multiple choice. You could just pick one, okay? All right. All right. So coffee or tea? Tea. Well, no. I, well, okay. It's <laughs> coffee, but like I'd like it to be tea. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, mountains or beach? Oh, mountains, rivers, lakes. That's my thing. Yeah. Gotcha. For sure. Early bird or night owl? That, that I have no doubt. Night owl and early bird, which is a problem. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When do you sleep? <laughs> no, no, no. I Well, it's like, you know, sometimes I nap. Hey, that's mm. good. I like the naps. Naps are good. Um, quiet or loud? Quiet. Even though I'm so loud. <laughs> I like it when I'm quiet. Isn't it funny? I, that happens sometimes. I'll be chatting with someone who's like, Loud, and they always say quiet. I'm like, interesting. People sometimes yeah. crave. Sure. Um, <laughs> are you a risk taker, or are you the person who always knows where the band aids are? Oh gosh, I'm a risk taker. And if you could time travel, would you rather go back or forward in time? Oh, that's tough. I mean, part of me says forward, you know, to just see what happens. But to, to be back in time when the earth was was not touched by the Industrial Revolution yet and not, not polluted by fossil fuels, that would be magical. To be able to see the ocean filled with fish, you know, and ah. Oh, so in a way, it's back in time is sort of more appealing. But of course, I want to see what we, we end up doing to this place. So... <laughs> Um, what is something quirky that people don't know about you? Likes, loves, pet peeves? Uh, quirky. Uh, I had OCD. <laughs> really? Yeah. I had a terrible case of OCD as a child and adolescent. What was that like? Oh, talk about stone. I had a lot of melting to do. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you melted. Yeah. Yeah. It was a process. It was a process. But yeah, OCD is a very intense anxiety disorder. And so, uh, you know, I did go through that. And uh, I think, you know, my life is one of those lives where I've gotten lighter over time and happier over time. So that's good news. That is. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. So transformation is real. (laughs) Excellent. Um, what do you love about where you live? Oh, Brooklyn is great. I live near Prospect Park. I love going to the park and walking there. And I love the, you know, the music and the, and the, and the, the you know, nightly events around here. It's nice to see them coming back. Yeah. Oh, it was a long time yeah. in the wilderness. Yeah. What's one of your go-to songs, the song you love? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll tell you this. I just discovered two days ago a woman named Crystal Warren, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E, and her last name is W-A-R-R-E-N. 
Someone had mentioned her, Jonah's policewoman. Actually, I'll mention her too. I don't know if you ever heard of Jonah's policewoman. She has a song where she's like, I'm looking for the magic. I'm feeling for the right way out of my mind. And I love that. I'm looking for the magic, feeling for the right way out of my mind. Which was a pro that's like you that sums up what it's like to get out of OCD, you know. <laughs> Looking for the magic and the right way out of your mind. Yeah. And so she has that song, Jonah's Policewoman. I forgot the... Oh, I think that song is called The Magic. I like that song. But she suggested Crystal Warren. And I listened to her yesterday and this morning on Spotify. And she's wonderful. I will link to those for our show notes. Yeah. Thank you. Do you have a favorite book or movie or both? You know, I loved... Diary of a Madman when I was a kid. I'll just say when I was a kid, because we've been talking about my childhood. Diary of a Madman by a Gogol, Russian writer. And also at that time, I read The Bald Soprano by Eugene Ionesco. And these two books were so interesting because Theater of the Absurd gives you a bird's eye view and makes you laugh at the whole big thing. And then Gogol, Diary of a Madman, brings a tenderness in. You know, so it was a good combination. And it was still when I was struggling with my own stuff. But those books really remain in my memory as important books. I do not think of Gogol as a children's book. No. But I'm going, but <laughs> I'm going to make all my kids read The Overcoat yeah. now. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite ice cream? Mint chocolate chip, of course. Right? I mean, Absolutely. It's just like no brainer. <laughs> the easiest question you asked. Exactly. By far. <laughs> um, and lastly, if we were to take a picture of you happy doing something you love, what would we see you doing? Hiking. Yay. Is it hard to hike living in New York City? Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's places. No, upstate. Upstate. Hey, it's not that Hudson. hard. Yeah, two and a half, two hours, two hours, one and a half hours. You could get good hiking. It's not that hard, actually. Yeah. Just got to get in the car. You have to move through the traffic. That's what's hard. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Well, Hala, Liza Gafori, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for reminding us to seek love and magic and ecstasy. Thank you for unleashing the fire in Rumi's words. And there's that line where you were asked to remember who we are and Yes. And that's what we're going to become. I, I'm thinking so much about that, that that we all just need to remember who we are. Yes. And that's what we can we can become. Yes. Yes. Divine. Divine. Exactly. Yes. Divine. Yes. Oh, thank you. Folks, our guest today has been Hala Liza Gafori, singer, poet, teacher, translator, magical person out there. Her recent book is called Gold. It is Rumi's poetry in its effervescent, not tap water, but it's effervescence. Um, <laughs> and we will link to this on the show notes page. You really can't go wrong with this beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, to everyone listening, we're wishing you love and light wherever this day takes you. Be good to yourself. Be good to one another. And we will see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Beautiful. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube. And audio engineer Ian Douglas. 
Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know if I even realized what the term artist meant when I first started making things. Welcome to Art Heals All Wounds, the podcast where we meet artists transforming lives with their work. And this opera company in Orange County, Southern California, wanted to do a project that focused on the Latino cultural experience. That sort of began my trajectory into writing opera. To see this representation that reflected back a part of the history that actually included my, my people. It made me feel seen in this powerful way. Very often a poem begins in absence for me because then it opens up a realm of imagined possibility. We hear their stories of how their work grapples with all of the issues that we all grapple with. She wanted the best for me. I mean, being a single mom, I remember she gave me a Fisher-Price camera. I would carry it everywhere. People being evicted left and right. And I remember walking down the streets and just saying, oh my God, this is not my city anymore. And then the melody came and a whole song came and it came so quickly. As I became an adult, I started getting terms like feminist terms and political terms and ways of understanding what it means to be different. And I started wanting to change the field of media. And I started to make friends with people that didn't have disabilities. And I used to try and act as much as I could like them because I wanted to be what people call normal. Through stories, we gain empathy for others and we find compassion for ourselves. The stories that you tell yourself are the story of, that you're making of your life. It's not the truth of who you are, it's the story that you're living. When it comes to stories around disability, that there's joy, there's, there's sex, there's humor. This podcast is an invitation to find inspiration together. I say I'm a personal accountability partner. You tell me what you want to do and let's find a way to get it done. Creativity is a human right. We're all born being artists. I'm a human being first and foremost, and then I am a creator. Listening to the stories of these artists helps us to live our best creative lives. If you can keep your joy, no matter what brings you joy, there are just so many modalities of art. There's no way you can't be a better person. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts or at our website, arthealsallwoundspodcast.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.